Amen. So wonderful to hear all of your voices in the room today and worship with you. And uh, I'm excited to dig into God's word today. I, uh, Pastor Mitch did a fantastic job last week in Genesis chapter three and the first gospel. Yes, applause. I listened to it two times. I was so excited about it. The first gospel. And then Nasa Sete, our very own, he actually preached the same passage in Gospel City Kids and did an awesome job. I heard stories of kids even responding to the gospel and asking questions. And so praise God that he's moving in our church. His word does the work. Amen. And speaking of Gospel City Kids, if you're a Gospel City Kid and you're in big church today, make some noise for me, all right? You think... You can, that's, that's, there you go, there you go. Thank you, Pendle. Thank you, Pendle. I like that. Uh, first order of business is this. Uh, thank you so much, Gospel City Kids. Look up here. Thank you so much for the cards that you made for me and I, I assume several of the other pastors. Look at, on the screen, there's a picture up there. Uh, I sat on my front porch the other day and I read, uh, are they, uh, we got that picture? You lost the picture. You're giving me the X sign. What's up with that? So, so uh, I'm going to call you out, Mark. Uh, so, so I had a picture and I was sitting on my front porch and I was reading a bunch of the cards and it just blessed my heart. And uh, thank you so much. A few of them I brought here and, uh, you know, kids say it best. This one says, thank you for saying your messages. It's from Nehemiah. And I thought, thank you, Nehemiah, for saying it so simple. And, uh, and then this one here, this says, there's, there's the picture. No, no, there it is. There it is. Yes, we got it. Uh, you have led this church to M-E-C-Y. I think it means mercy. It might mean messy. I'm praying it's mercy, but thank you. And then this one, I won't read the whole thing, but it says, uh, it, it says uh, you do a great job. I wouldn't know for sure, but I'd like to think you're stressed out. <laughs> but I trust you will not give up anytime soon. And then it says, keep going, have peace, and have courage. And so praise the Lord for that card. And uh, <laughs> Gospel City Kids, let no one ever despise you for your youth. If you are in Christ, then you can be a light to others, and you are a blessing to me even this morning and this week. But I, I, I love that you're in big church today, and I'm praying that you will love church for the rest of your life because this is a place that helps you follow Jesus, learn about Jesus, and worship Jesus. And I'm also praying that you would love your Bible and obey your Bible and memorize your Bible, and hopefully you brought a Bible today. So go ahead and open your Bible to Genesis chapter 4. Genesis chapter 4, and we're continuing through this first book of the Bible. And uh, today we pick up a section of scripture that really runs. Remember, we started in 2 verse 4. It said the generations of, of Adam and Eve. And then it runs all the way into chapter 5. Chapter 2 showed us the beginning of humanity. Chapter 3 showed us the beginning of the fall into sin. And Genesis chapter 4 shows us the beginning of the depths of our sin here on the earth. And if one thing is true about the book of Genesis, we have seen that God is a God of order, right? He ordered creation. He ordered male and female. He ordered the design of marriage. Even in his judgment, God was a God of order. He lined up the serpent and the woman and the man, and he cast judgment because of the fall into sin, because of their disobedience, but it was seasoned with grace and today, as we get to Genesis chapter 4, we see a world that is broken by disorder. We see very quickly that as sin has entered now into the world, we all have a problem. 
And it's the same problem. We have a worship disorder. You and I have been created to worship Elohim. We've been created to worship the God of glory. We've been created to gaze fully at the presence of Jesus and honor him and exalt him above all things. And yet we have a worship problem if we are living on this earth and breathing on this earth. And that happened for the first two boys that were born into the world with a sin nature. So the big idea that I want to draw out of the text today, I tried to make it helpful for all of us, but because of sin, our worship is broken and can only be fixed God's way. Because of sin, our worship is broken and it can only be fixed God's way. And I want you just to look at Genesis chapter 4. We're going to go through verse 16 today. And as we start to take some of these bigger portions in Genesis 4 through 11, we'll kind of skip some rocks over different sections. But today let's focus in on the first 16 verses of Genesis chapter 4. Now hear the word of the Lord. Now Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have begotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth and whoever finds me will kill me. Then the Lord said to him, not so, if anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. Verse 16, then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Let's pray together. Father, come and thank you for the time that we've already had today, exalting you and lifting your name high and, and, and praising you for your beauty and your power and your strength and the wonder that is in Jesus. Lord, I pray that you would captivate all of our hearts with the person of Jesus Christ, that we might be moved to bring all that we are, that we might be moved to give you our whole hearts, that we might be moved to worship you in the light of the glorious grace of Jesus Christ. Lord, meet us here today. In your mighty name we pray. Amen. Now, this is an, uh, an amazing narrative in the Bible. All I can think about this week is kind of like a domino set. Have you ever set up dominoes and, and then you push the first one down and what happens? The rest of them all come tumbling down. It's as if sin pushed the first domino 
And right away, as you get into Genesis chapter 4, you see the destruction of everything that's coming. It doesn't come subtly. Uh, It's subtle, but it's potent. It's destructive. And that's the nature of sin. And I've really been chewing on so much about this chapter, even over the last two days. And, and I wrote a sermon, but I think I got more in my head. And so I'm trusting the Spirit to work out what needs to be said this morning as we've gathered. But the world does not want to talk about sin. And the world wants to do away with this word sin. And yet when you get to Genesis chapter 4, it's the first mention of this word sin. It says that sin is crouching at our doors now that it's in the world and now that our natures are infected by it. And if you do away with this archery term, missing the mark, or remember a couple weeks ago we talked about it's any being, any inclination, any thought that is contrary to God and his character. So all of us have sinned and all of us fall short of the glory of God. If you are to do away with this word or this concept, how else do you exclaim or, or, or proclaim or talk about the brokenness of this world? How else do you talk about wars and hate and, and fighting and brokenness and adultery? How else do you explain your inclinations to bend God's law even as a believer? How else do you talk about your wrestlings every day to just simply wake up and have a good attitude? Or do not grumble and complain about the smallest of things. The answer is sin. And sin infects every single one of us if we are a human. Tim Keller, he said that Genesis chapter 4 is humanity's history in a nutshell. You see judgment. You see grace. You see sacrifice. You see acceptance. You see the hardening of the heart. But you see the subtlety of sin and the potency of sin And eventually you see the victory that we can have over sin because of a good and gracious God. But all of our worship is broken because of sin. It can only be fixed God's way. you got to come to God on his terms. And so I want to look at five worship disorders that we see in Genesis chapter 4. Worship disorder number one is misplaced confidence. Misplaced confidence. So just imagine being Eve for a moment. You ate of the fruit, you were banned from the garden, no doubt depression had crept into the world and she had a hard time getting out of bed some days as she looked back, wishing she hadn't ate that fruit, wishing she hadn't been tempted by the serpent. No doubt self-righteousness would have crept into the world and Eve would have realized how bad she is in light of the goodness of God and she was becoming more and more increasingly aware of evil in an increasingly evil world. She saw her husband working by the sweat of his brow every single day. Adam and Eve could only look back on this perfect garden where there was harmony and know that they weren't living in it. There was regret. The only hope that Eve had was the hope of Genesis chapter 3, verse 15 that we looked at last week that eventually, that God was going to be faithful and he was going to season judgment with grace and he was going to send a son that would one day crush the head of the serpent. That was Eve's only hope in the midst of her depression. So you get to Genesis chapter four, verse one. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. Now scholars have a hard time 
translating this from the Hebrew, but what everyone does agree with, it's been smoothed out with the help of the Lord in our, in our language. But in the Hebrew language, it best reads this way. I have gotten a man, Yahweh, or, or I have gotten a child, the Lord. Because as Eve bore Cain, her firstborn son, she thought, this is the son that will come and right all of my wrongs. This is the son that will come and make up for what I did in the garden. This is the son that will bring hope in my depression. And I think all of us would be there, but Eve had misplaced confidence. Eve put her confidence in what she could produce and what her son could do rather than keeping her eyes on the only God who is holy and the only God who is saved. And so she proclaims, I have gotten a man, Yahweh. (laughs) And, And just to kind of prove that point even further, when you get to Abel in verse two, it says, and again, she bore his brother Abel. So I don't know if Abel was a twin or if Abel was a brother that came later, but let's assume some time came between Cain and Abel and, and, and Eve found out really quickly that Cain was not a perfect son. Eve found out really quickly that there was gonna be trial and, and hardship in raising a son and there were gonna be sleepless nights and feeding a baby and keeping a baby alive was gonna be a real hardship in a broken and sinful world. And she realized her hope, her, her confidence dwindled really quickly. And by the time she gets to Abel, Abel's name in the Greek actually means vanity. It's the same word that means vanity of vanities or it means vapor in the Hebrew. And so even in naming her second son is as if she's giving up hope. I'm giving up my confidence in God already. And then you get to the end of the chapter. We won't get there today. But in verse 25, it says, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. And so you see her tone changing as she now realizes, I need to put my confidence in God, not in myself. So, so the, the, the worship disorder is that we would ever get our eyes off of God and onto our own efforts and onto what we could produce. That certainly is not how it's supposed to be, but you see it even as Eve is trying to be obedient and do what a mother does. Now, number two, worship disorder two, half-hearted offerings. Half-hearted offerings. Look in verse two. It says, now Abel was a keeper of sheep, And Cain, a worker of the ground, and in the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. Now, obviously, there's a lot we could speculate from this section of Scripture. You know, Abel being a a keeper of sheep, it says that he brings his firstborn of the flock and of their fat portions, that was a big deal. If you brought your firstborn as someone who made their livelihood by the livestock that would be born, it was as if you were saying, I have faith in God to provide all that I need. Because if you give the firstborn, you don't actually know how many more are gonna be born that year. And you make your, lot, you make your living based on the amount of livestock that you have. And so Abel's sacrifice, the first born lamb of the fat portions, it's as if he was saying, you know what, I am so desperately wicked and and I am so desperately in need of God that I will trust God beyond what I can see. I will trust God beyond what I have and I will give him my first and I will give him my best. Ultimately, I will give him everything because he is deserving of it. And so he brings a lamb to the altar to sacrifice and to burn 
as an aroma as he worships God. Now, I think that this was a common thing at this point in Cain and Abel's life. They had grown up, obviously, they're working men. And it says, in the course of time, that's kind of like when the time had come. So God had established already a time for people to come and worship him, to pay sacrifice to him, kind of like he's appointed for us, a time whenever we come and we gather. And you come every week on the first day of the week, and we come here and we worship God. Abel brought the best of what he had, communicating, I'll give everything. But notice what the text says. Abel was a keeper of sheep, Cain a worker of the ground. And in the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. It doesn't say he brought the first of the fruits. It doesn't say he brought the best of his fruits. He just gathered up some fruit <laughs> and he brought it and laid it on the altar for God. This will be good enough. This is all I have to give today. I'm, I'm going to take an inventory of everything that I have and everything that I need. And I'm going to skimp off 10% and I'll come and begrudgingly give that to God today. We don't know all of the things. Some have speculated Cain tried to bring a bloodless sacrifice. Even in the garden, as Adam and Eve sinned, God killed an animal to cover their shame. And so the wages of sin is death. Something has to die. Cain didn't bring a, a, a sacrifice that had to die. I don't know. The text doesn't tell us that. But it does tell us that Abel's sacrifice was more faithful. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 4 says this. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. So ultimately, we can see that Cain's offering to the God of glory was simply half-hearted at best. Cain's heart was not in this thing. Cain's heart was not in his sacrifice. And some of you can relate to that even here today. Imagine if God judged your sacrifices in the same amount of time that he did Cain and Abel's. Imagine if after the service today, you had a meeting with the God of glory and he was going to have regard or not for your coming to church today, for your singing a song today, for your serving or holding a door or holding a child today. That would raise the stakes a little bit because God sees the heart and God's not after an outward expression, but God wants our whole hearts to be given fully to him in worship and in adoration. You really have two options. If God says your worship is unacceptable, you can go Cain's way and we'll see that he gets angry and he rebels against God, or you can go the Jesus way. You can repent, you can let him break your heart, you can do better the next opportunity that you have to come before the God who is always gracious, though he judges justly, and you can do everything to the glory of God. But worship is about our hearts being holy gods. Worship testifies that nothing is on the thrones of our hearts but God. Yet often the secret places of our hearts would testify something else. We're more about our own efforts. Or we're more about our own desires. Or we're more about doing what we think is good enough rather than what God says is holy and righteous. And one of the greatest dangers in this life is trying to skate by God's approval based on your own half-hearted merits. It simply can't be done. God is the moral standard and 
He always sees our hearts. It makes me think of Psalm 51, David's prayer after he had sinned. And he says this, For you, O God, will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering, because the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. If we were to bring it into our time zone, God doesn't want your prayers. God doesn't want your church attendance. God doesn't want you to raise a hand and sing a song. God doesn't want your morality if he does not have your heart. We can worship him all day on the outside, but if our insides are far from him, we are far from God. We're trying to come to God on our terms rather than on his terms, just like Cain did, and God had no regard for Cain's offering. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? Those with clean hands and a pure heart. And so the truth is we must purify ourselves before this holy God and come knowing how sinful we are and how holy he is. Leads to the third worship disorder you see in the text. Rebellion against God. Remember the dominoes just keep falling as sin enters the picture. Worship disorder number three. Genesis chapter four. Look at verses Five, it says, so Cain was very angry and his face fell. So his face falling is like a Hebrew idiom for depression in the world. He's depressed, he's angry, he's not afraid to show his dissatisfaction with God's disapproval of his sacrifice. And how we respond to God's assessment of us really does reveal our hearts. If you truly believe that God is Lord, then his opinion of you should cause you to repent. His reception of you should cause you to worship. His judgment towards sin should cause you to tremble. And his invitation to bring a sacrifice should cause you to bring the first and bring the best. But Cain got angry and he let it show. Look at the question that God asked Cain in verse 6. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why has your face fallen. When Adam and Eve sinned, God questioned them and they answered with the truth. Here am I, Lord. They took the punishment and they believed that God would be gracious. In a sense, Adam and Eve were repentant over their sin, remorseful over their sin. But here Cain is questioned for a sacrifice and he moves directly to anger because Cain didn't care that he had offended God. Cain only cared that he might skate by. Cain didn't need to make sacrifice God's way. Cain was more concerned with what he desired to do. So upon the Lord rejecting his offering, Cain became angry. And, and you realize how out of order this is, right? The firstborn child the world had ever known is angry at Elohim. The firstborn child thinks more highly of his opinion than Yahweh's opinion. Cain thought he was so big that he could stand up to the almighty God and God's questioning of Cain should have caused him to see how small he is, but rather he rises up and hardens his heart. Yet it's the worship disorder that we all face. We must give up control of our lives and our way. And the truth in God's word will either cause you to repent and follow him or turn and go your own directions. Cain's heart problem was not just a problem for him, but it's a prototype of every person that would follow. God judges, 
And we either respond in repentance and soften our hearts and turn toward him, or we harden our hearts and go our own way. In Jude chapter 11, it it says that this is Cain's way. All throughout the Bible, Cain is referred to as the way not to go. Jude 11 says, Woe to them, for they walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain. I'm going to abandon everything that I have. I'm going to lose everything just so I can keep what I think I need, so that I can keep the best for myself, so that I can have this perfect worldly life. I won't surrender it all to the God of glory. But God wants your whole heart. And Cain's way is wide and leads to destruction. But the way that Abel came to God, the way that Abel brought a sacrifice that day, Abel was by no means a perfect man, but he came giving his whole heart. And this way leads to life. It's narrow. But it's coming to God on his terms and not our own. Now, worship disorder number four is this answering the door to sin. Answering the door to sin. Verse seven, if you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Now, here lies an important truth for all of us. Kids, you listen in. An opportunity to sin will always be knocking at the door. And you may get angry at God from time to time, but you will either run to God with your anger and run to God with your questions and let him help you, or you will take matters into your own hands and answer the door to the sin that is crouching there. Verse 7 is saying God only wanted Cain's best. God was willing to extend grace to Cain for the sacrifice that he had no regard for. Cain, if you do well the next time, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Every time we phone it in as Christians, sin is crouching at the door. Every time worship looks good outwardly, but our hearts are dark and unclean, sin is crouching at the door. Every time we serve the Lord or bring an offering begrudgingly to the Lord, sin is crouching at the doors. And you will always have an opportunity to answer the door to sin in this broken world because Satan prowls around like a roaring lion seeking to devour you. This word crouching is ready to spring forth. You you crack the door a little bit. You give it an inch and it's coming down the line. And before long, you will be so far down the road of sin that you didn't know how you got there and you don't know how you can get back to the start. Falling into sin is as easy as opening the door and its desires are contrary to you. What sin will do for you is the opposite of God wants for you. Sin is never a good move. It might seem like a good idea. It might feel good for a moment but it leads to destruction. And so God says, you must rule over your sin, Cain. Cain, I see that you're angry. I know you don't like my assessment of your offering, but all you have to do is do well the next time, but sin is at your door right now and you need to rule over it. But Cain didn't rule over his sin. Cain opened the door to his sin. And when you open the door to sin, everything spirals downward and out of control. Just look at it in verses 8 through 14. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against the brother Abel and killed him. 
Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel your brother? And he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, can you sense the attitude that's all throughout this? And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. And Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Notice the downward spiral of sin. Cain spoke to Abel, meaning Cain strategized how to get his brother alone so that he could go forth with his plan. When they were in the field, Cain led his brother out into a field with a plan and every step, I'm gonna kill him, I'm gonna kill him, I'm gonna kill him. He never stopped and turned from his motives. He just walked on in the plan. You don't fall into deep destructive sin, you walk toward it. You take intentional steps toward it. Cain rose up and killed his brother. Cain committed the first murder. He took life, setting himself up as God, who is the giver and taker of life. Cain usurped the role of God that day. And not only that, Abel was the first death in the world. The first mother lost a child prematurely that day, which was never meant to happen. But because sin came into the world, a mother loses her son And ultimately, Eve lost both sons that day as her oldest killed her second and the comprehensive destruction of sin was underway. Cain responds to God, I do not know, am I my brother's keeper? Cain lies to God, the first human lie. Cain questions God, the first human backtalk to God. Cain denies what God saw. Cain is cursed from the ground. Verse 12 says, when you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. Cain lost his job that day. Cain lost his ability to grow food that day. Cain lost his ability to make money and to eat freely that day. And verse 13, you shall be like a fugitive and a wanderer. Cain lost his home that day. Cain lost his family that day. Cain lost his people that day. And Cain was making intentional decisions to lose his God. And some of you may be able to relate to that. Perhaps you haven't killed someone, but someone in the room has made sinful decisions and you feel like you've lost everything in this life. And if you could say anything to the children who are in this room, to the Gospel City kids who are in the room, you would say, if you are following God, if you give your life to God today, if you put your hope and trust and faith in Jesus today, it could spare you from so much heartache and so much destruction in this world. You don't have to have, kids, you don't have to have a testimony where one day you say, Boy, I walked astray for these many years and I did my own thing. You can follow God today. You can live your life for Jesus today. You can give everything you have to Christ today. And God will have regard for it through the person of Jesus Christ. And you never have to look back and say, boy, I went down that route of destruction. The truth is all of us are sinful enough today to repent and believe on Jesus. But sin is never worth it. And sin can cause you to lose everything that you love and do things that you never thought you'd do. Verse 13 through 14, Cain answers in fear rather than repentance. You notice that? Cain doesn't fall to the ground and say, forgive me for all that I've done. He's more concerned with his own reputation after he's been caught in the sin. He's more concerned with himself making it, himself making it through. 
He doesn't want to deny himself. He wants to protect his own reputation. And so he questions God and he wrestles with God. Then he gets fearful. Whoever finds me will kill me, he says. And Cain deserved to die. That was a just punishment for him to die. The only fact that he doesn't die is God once again seasoning his judgment with his grace and his mercy. And so in verse 15, we see that mercy. Then the Lord said to him, Not so, Cain. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. So God spares Cain from death, but not from the consequences of sin. And when we do not rule over our sin, we experience the consequences. And obedience is what God requires that brings joy. Disobedience always brings death. If you look at that one verse where it says, Cain, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying out to me from the ground. This again is God's sovereign judgment and compassion. God sees every act of injustice that ever happened in the world. People are rising up right now and we're worried about all of the war that's going on that is a result of sin and we have infighting and we take political sides. God is so much bigger than all of this. And God's judgment is always just and he will judge each and every person, each and every one of us. And God sees every act of injustice, every innocent person that has been killed, every innocent person that has lost their lives, their blood is crying out to God as if God sees it, knows it, will have compassion, he will render it. But God sees the evil and all of those who are not in Christ Jesus will be judged accordingly. Their sacrifice will not be regarded as good and holy and acceptable before a good and perfect God. That's why it's important for us to come to God today on his terms. Worship disorder number five in the text as we close on verse 16 is wandering outside God's presence. Wandering outside God's presence. Verse 16 says, Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Understand this. Any path that takes you away from the presence of the Lord is the wrong path. You notice that? Cain went away from the presence of the Lord, not toward it. He didn't bow the knee. He didn't bend the knee. He didn't repent that he might be in the presence of the Lord. He went away from the presence of the Lord. And the saddest reality one can live in is in the absence of the presence of God. Cain moved to build his own city. It wasn't a holy city. He continued down the path of sin. He had a wife. He had children and grandchildren. His great, great, great grandson was named Lamech. Lamech was a wicked descendant of Cain. Lamech took two wives, which is the first mention of polygamy in the Bible. Again, God's ordered marriage, getting out of order, disorder following in the world. And Lamech, Cain's great, great, great grandson, ended up taking Cain's life. And to die outside of the presence of God is to live in eternal damnation, consciously aware of the absence of God's presence. The Bible speaks of, of eternity apart from God and his presence as hell, a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. And yet it's a reality for all who try to come to God on their own terms, half-heartedly. 
So rather than go away from the presence of God like Cain, Scripture warns all of us. First Chronicles 16.11 says this, Seek the Lord in his strength. Seek his presence continually. Don't seek religion. Don't seek your own morality. Don't seek man's standards. Don't seek the fulfillment of worldly possessions. Don't seek the desires of your heart. Seek his presence continually. Isaiah 55, 6, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. The Lord is near. It's not too late. Seek the Lord today. Seek his presence continually. James 4, 8, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hearts, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Cain's way is showing us the way that we shouldn't go. But today is the day to seek God's presence and move toward it, not away from it. And God's judgment is a real thing. God judged Abel that day. And Abel was not a perfect person. But Abel gave his whole heart and knew he had nothing he could bring. And God saw regard, had regard for it. You may not feel like you can come to God today. But you can come with just your heart, just your hands open wide. And we have to see how God fixes our worship because our worship is broken because of sin, but it can only be fixed God's way. So there's three implications from this text that I just want to close with, and it's this. God fixes worship, number one, God fixes worship through sacrifice. God fixes worship through sacrifice. Death is God's term for sin. Abel brought the best of what he had and shed its blood, and it was acceptable. Cain brought a bloodless offering half-heartedly, and the way of Cain led to death. But Abel's lineage, it was meant to lead to Jesus Christ, though he died early. But there's so many shadows of Jesus that we see. Abel was a shepherd, and Jesus would come to be the good shepherd. Abel sacrificed a pure, spotless lamb, but Jesus was the purest, most spotless lamb Jesus came in an unlikely way. Abel was the second son. Usually the first son gets the birthright. Usually the first son carries the way, but Abel was meant to carry the way. Jesus came in the most unlikely way. He didn't come as a conquering king, but he came as a baby born in a manger, and later in life he was slewed on a cross. Jesus died on a cross in your place as a substitute for your sins. And God in the flesh, fully God, fully man, shed his innocent blood as the most acceptable sacrifice. And Christ's death paid the debt that all of us owe and none of us can pay. So Isaiah 53, by his stripes, we are healed. That's the only way to come to God on his terms because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. 2 Corinthians 5, he who knew no sin became sin so that we could become the righteousness of God. Romans 10, all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Jesus fixes our worship through a perfect sacrifice, a spotless lamb. Now, number two, Jesus fixes, God fixes worship so that we will hate our sin so that we will hate our sin. I want you to think about what does it look like for you to rule over your sin today? What, what sin is knocking at your door? Are you angry at God? Do you have questions for God? Are you struggling with your walk with God? Every bad attitude that you have 
Satan is crouching at your door, ready to pounce, ready to take you down a road where you deny God, where you rebel against God. But Colossians 2.6 says, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the lusts of the flesh. 1 Corinthians 10.13, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will always provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So to rule over your sin is to not open the door to it. To rule over your sin is to hate it enough to cut it off. To rule over your sin is to repent and go the other direction. To rule over your sin is to recognize that it was your sin that crucified your perfect Savior on the cross. And when Jesus is the object of your worship, everything else will fade into the background. Jesus will shine in the glory and the grace His name is beautiful and wonderful and powerful. And if he has your whole heart, then nothing that this life can offer you is worth you giving your attention to. Number three this morning, God fixes worship so our hearts belong to him. God fixes worship so that our hearts belong to him. And ultimately, God is sovereign Over salvation, God is the giver and taker of life. There's a passage in John chapter 4, 23 and 24. Jesus has been on the earth. He's starting his ministry. He's with the woman at the well. And he says, the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such worshipers. I think since the garden... Since Adam and Eve were banned from the garden, the Father has been seeking true worshipers in a world that is plagued by a worship disorder. God scouring the earth for those that would bring a holy sacrifice, for those that would give all of their hearts, for those that wouldn't skimp and give God just a little of their life so that they can keep all that they have over here neatly and live a good American dream. God's like, no, die to yourself. Pick up your cross and follow me. Leave this world behind and live for Jesus. Give your time to Jesus. Give your money to Jesus. Understand the the depths of the grace of God for you as Jesus died in your place. And if you are in Christ today, understand this. If you are in Christ, truly a Christian, then God already has regard for your sacrifice because when he looks at you he sees his beloved son Jesus and that's an amazing truth if you are not in Christ today if you have never put your hope and trust and faith in Jesus if you have never confessed that he is Lord and believed in your heart and said I'm going to follow him at all costs then like Cain God will look at you and have no regard for your sacrifice because you can't do this on your own You have nothing to bring to the altar. Jesus is the only one that can save. And yet if he has saved you, Romans 12, 1, do not be conformed to this world now, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you might present your body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. You now come as a sacrifice. And oh, how we should desire to give it our all, to give it our best, to come with our whole hearts. So I just want to leave you for a couple moments to just sit and contemplate 
Stephen will invite you in to sing in just a moment, but let's just return to the Lord together. Confess our sin before the Lord together. If you need to come and get on your knees at the altar, by all means, I pray that your hearts are bowed down right now. But bring a sacrifice, bring an offering, and let's return to the heart of worship together. Come on.